Welcome to God's Acre On The Go, a worship podcast of the Congregational Church of New Canaan in New Canaan, Connecticut. To learn about the life of our church, our in-person ministries, and the virtual connections and offerings available, please visit us at www.godsacre.org. Now, wherever you are, wherever you are going, we welcome you to worship. Church family, good morning. This is the day the Lord has made, and we will rejoice and be glad in it. Welcome to God's Acre on the Go, wherever you happen to be, wherever you are going. We're so grateful to have you tuning in. Today we're going to look at a section of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount about uh, his call and command for us to work toward reconciliation with others. Uh, but before we do that, I invite you to kind of center yourselves and, and prepare yourself for the word you will receive by listening to our morning's anthem, How Great Thou Art. Hear the 
church family, we're looking at Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Jesus begins this sermon, I, I think, in beautiful and brilliant fashion. He begins by telling the people who are listening to them, he gives them nine statements of blessing and belovedness. He says, you're blessed, you're blessed, you're blessed, you're blessed. And then he tells the people in front of them that they are the salt of the earth. He says that they are light of of the world, uh, a presence that illuminates the world. And, and what I love is he doesn't say you should be, or you might be, or you could be, or you ought to be salt and light. He tells them you are. Uh, you are an illuminating presence. You are salt of the earth. You are blessed. You are beloved. And then after kind of affirming those in front of him, he gets to the difficult stuff. Uh, and part of that challenge is what we read in verse 21 in chapter uh, five. Uh, Jesus said, you've heard it was said, to those of ancient times, you shall not murder. And whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you, if you are angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment. And if you insult a brother or sister, you, you'll be liable to the council. And if you say, you fool, you'll be liable to the hell of fire. So when you're offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and sister and then come and offer your gift. Come to quick uh, terms quickly with your accuser while you're on the way to court. Or your accuser may hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you will be thrown into prison and I tell you, you will never get out until you've paid the last penny. The word of God for the people of God. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, we believe, we dare to believe that there is a word, that you have a word for us that you want us to receive, that it might sink deep in us and grow and blossom in important ways. So we pray for that miracle of word being made flesh in this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So you've been with us long enough to know that we say certain things over and over again in our church. Uh, we remember important words. We begin by saying, this is the day the Lord has made, right? That Lida Pell Pollard, our, our first uh, female senior minister, encourages us to begin worship with years ago. We say the Lord's Prayer. We say the Lord's Prayer every single Sunday. And then the priestly benediction at the very end of the service, the oldest scripture ever recovered archaeologically, where it says, the Lord bless you and keep you, right? We also, every single Sunday at 8 a.m. And, and the first Sunday of the month at our 10 a.m. service, we raise bread and tear it apart and we say, you know it, the body broken for you. The body broken. Do this. Remember over and over. Never forget the body broken. I wonder, why is that so important? Why is it so important to say and remember? Why was it so important that Jesus emphatically encouraged his followers to do that act and say those words? Well, I think in part, it's so that we are reminded that we are worth dying for. You know, Jesus loves you and Jesus believes you are worth dying for. Don't ever forget that. But, you know, I, I think we also proclaim body broken so that we might remain a bit awestruck that the body was also healed, right? Jesus's body broken, but Jesus's body also resurrected. The fellowship of Jesus broken, and yet the fleeing and forgetful friends of Jesus were put back together again. You know, so Jesus starts the sermon by saying, we are blessed and beloved, we are salt, we are light, fully equipped to do God's work in the world, which, as it turns out, is largely repair work. 
repairing the body. You know, I've said this many times before, but in the earliest pages of scripture, God seems to be kind of playing a game of sin whack-a-mole, right? Sin whack-a-mole. Sin pops up here and then God strikes it down over there only to have sin pop up someplace else entirely. Uh, Adam and Eve sin, whack, got kicked out of the garden. Sin then broke out all over the world, whack, God flooded creation and started over with Noah. People began to build a tower into the heavens to make a name for themselves. Guess what? Whack. God destroyed the Tower of Babel and scattered the people. Sodom and Gomorrah misbehaved badly. Whack. Those cities were scorched from the face of the earth. You know, in Genesis, as the ancient and holy stories told, God whacks sin only to have it pop up immediately elsewhere. So, according to the Bible, God changed strategy. Instead of trying to eradicate sin by sheer force, God decided to repair creation through forgiveness. To that end, God chose a family through which to be revealed to the world, a family through whom the world would be made whole. Now, it has been a deeply flawed family requiring a whole lot of forgiveness and constant repair. So if you, if you think your family's a mess, just you know, take a moment to read about Abraham and Sarah or Isaac or Rebecca or Jacob and Leah and Rachel and their many troubled and troubling descendants. You know, but it's an important evidence that that testimony of that uh, uh, misbehaving family is evidence that God has now chosen to work with what God has. You know, instead of continually trying to wipe the slate clean and start over, God works with what God has, which means God is continually in the repair business. And, and that's the business that Jesus, in this passage of scripture, invites us into as well. So Jesus gets down to business and begins a section of a sermon by essentially saying that anger, insults, name-calling are as egregious as murder in the mind of God. The one who kills the body and the one who assassinates someone's character will be judged guilty of great offense. Probably something we should remember in this kind of vitriolic world where people call names and uh, do damage to people's character all the time. But then after that, Jesus says, so when you're offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister, and this is important, has something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and sister and then come and offer your gift. So let me, let me translate. For anyone who's a parent or for anyone who has had parents, which I think is all of us, few things irritate parents more than the kids fighting and being mean to each other, right? Uh, conversely, few things please parents more than seeing the kids playing well together, getting along, caring for each other, being kind. I think Jesus is saying that is exactly how God feels. You show up church nicely dressed, looking sharp, prepared to make an offering of yourself to God, but you're at odds with one of your family members. Jesus says, you know what? It's better leave this place right now. Go heal the relational break and then come back here and say thank you to God. You want to give God a gift? Work to repair the family, Jesus says. Now, little FYI, not everyone liked Jesus' sermons, right? You might not agree with much of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, but Jesus has said what he said and preached what he preached, and as his followers, we need to grapple with those words, whether we like them or not. And God has chosen, according to this, to be in the repair business. And it's supposed to be the family business, passed down from generation to generation to generation on to us. But how does reconciliation and repair actually happen? 
Jesus suggests, actually he commands, an important course of action. He says, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, and then it says after that, come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're on your way to court. So you've got two examples of discord and disagreement, and both assume that Jesus's followers shoulder some of the blame for the relational break, right? If someone has something against you, and then it speaks of your accuser. See, here Jesus's assumption is that we all share in the blame for broken relationships and relational rifts. And it's true. It's true. I found that when I'm in a relationship that's not functioning well, it's typically because I am playing some role in the dysfunction myself. And maybe you can look at that at your life and your relationships and attest to that and witness to that as well. And yet, I've got to say, I find that when I go and I talk with the person and begin to try to make amends by stating how I believe that I may have been wrong, but that I take that encouragement from Jesus and assume that I have some responsibility in the rift. When I start with my own contrition and, and kind of name how I may have been at fault, I'll tell you, angst tends to ease, temper's cool, healing can really begin to happen. See, Jesus expects his followers, he expects us to own up to the role we play in relational breaks and to make the first move to repair the rift. Jesus wants us to be the ones who go and be reconciled, right? That's what it says. Jesus wants us to be the ones who come to terms with our accusers. It's our business, and and we're supposed to take initiative. See, without a willingness to make the first move toward reconciliation, relationships break and stay broken. Hostilities only heighten, and, and the distance between spouses and siblings and classmates and teammates and friends and coworkers grow. Now, Jesus' call to relational repair work is not a message that we're necessarily inclined to like. But you know, it's the work that God does with us, and that's significant. It's the work that God has chosen to do with us, and it's the work God wants us to offer to others. And relational repair work, it's really good for us. Actually, it's physically good for us. We, we don't always like the things that are good for us, but that doesn't invalidate their goodness. So study after study after study shows, for instance, that anger is not healthy. Chronic long-term anger has been linked to high blood pressure and heart problems and headaches and skin disorders, digestive problems. Whereas forgiveness, right, which is the key ingredient to reconciliation, forgiveness for the forgiver lowers the risk of heart attack, improves cholesterol levels and sleep, reduces pain, blood pressure, levels of anxiety, depression, and stress. And research points, this is interesting, points to an increase in the forgiveness health connection as we age. It becomes more important as we age. Now, okay, Jesus didn't offer this teaching for our personal cardiac health benefits, okay? He offered it for the good of the world and to the glory of God. That it contributes to our personal wellness, well, that's, that's just an added blessing. So how, how do we get started? If we want to take on the family business of repair, how on earth do we begin? I'll tell you, last week, Laura Everett said something simple yet profound about mending, mending that, that has stuck with me. She said, you can't repair anything until you find out the extent of the damage. So you can't really repair anything until you find out the extent of the damage. That's true for garments. It's true for relationships. 
You need to be willing to examine the tear to know how much work needs to be done. Repair work always begins with an estimate. Whether the relationship in need of repair is a marriage or a friendship or an estrangement within the family or or something much bigger. You know, uh, we're all just heartbroken, heartbroken with the devastation in Turkey and Syria post uh, the earthquake. Uh, The scope of the damage is going to need to be assessed. We can't even begin to think about repair until we have a sense of the total damage, right? That's how it works. We've got to assess the tear. Um, You know this is Black History Month, and I've got to tell you I cannot shake, nor do I want to shake my experience of visiting the Legacy Museum and the Lynching Memorial in Montgomery, Alabama a few weeks ago. Uh, It was a stunning trip in my opinion. It's a trip every follower of Jesus living in our country should make. Uh, The Legacy Museum uh, charts this course from slavery in our country to lynchings, to segregation, to mass incarceration. Uh, The lynching memorial set on a bluff overlooking Montgomery. It's a structure that has over 800 weathered steel monuments hanging in place, one for each county in the United States where lynchings took place. The names of thousands of victims are engraved on those columns. And I have no words to express the experience. Honestly, I'm still processing it. And and I know there are a lot of opinions about uh, the racial history of our past, as well as the work that needs to be done in the present and future. But I'll tell you, step one, if we are going to be reconciled as God desires, step one is to understand the extent of the damage. Healing begins with learning, and learning has never hurt anyone the way ignorance can. We need to learn from history. But, you know, we also need to consider and respect how people understand and speak of their own history, each of us including that. Whether whether we like it or not, in our homes, in our communities, in our country, if we're going to take up the family business as Jesus asks us to, we have to begin with an estimate of the work that needs to be done. Now, I want to wrap up with some really amazingly good news, and it's this. We are built for healing. We're built for healing. The, the, the human body, the gathered community, creation itself, all have the ability to repair themselves. I mean, healing and repair are part of our DNA. It's part of our social fabric. It's even part of the cosmos. Uh, some of you sent me this uh, article. It, it was recently reported that the hole in the ozone layer that we've been aware of and worrying about since the 1980s, that, that hole is getting smaller and smaller every year. In another four or five decades, it might close. We know that the earth itself has a way of healing almost as soon as we stop damaging it. And most of the parts of the human body begin their own repair process immediately upon injury. I love this. I read this this week. Studies show lungs, our lungs begin to heal the day someone quits smoking. I mean, that's amazing. God's created a world in which the body breaks and the body is healed. Body broken, body repaired. Remember that, Jesus said. The body can be broken, but the body can be resurrected. Families can be broken, but families can be reunited. Communities can be broken, but those relationships can be reconciled. And that's our Christian story. It's what we've been built to do. It is our family business. Don't take it from me. Listen to Jesus. In fact, blame Jesus for his sermon if you want. Jesus says, you know what? Go into the world and be agents for reconciliation. Take the initiative. Dare to survey the damage, recognize our role in the rift, and then work on needed repairs. Help our world heal. 
brothers and sisters and kin of all kinds. That is the best and most desired gift we can lay at the altar of our Lord. And, and repaired relationship is the great gift God has given us through Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, forgiveness and reconciliation is not easy, particularly when we feel we have been betrayed, deserted, harmed. And yet we look at a cross that reminds us that betrayal and desertion and denial were exactly what your closest students and friends did to you, and yet you were able to forgive them. And in that forgiveness, new relationship was formed, new possibilities were offered, and a future beyond imagining was entered into. So Lord God, help us to step beyond whatever frustrations with others we might experience. Help us to be agents for reconciliation, forgiveness in your world, so that that which you desire, a creation united, people united, families united, might come to pass. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, church family, off into another week. And as you do, I give you, offer you the ancient words of benediction that the Lord might bless you and keep you. May the Lord's face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord look upon you with kindness and give you peace now and forevermore. Amen. Thank you for joining us for Worship on the Go. To support this podcast and the ministries of our church, please consider making a contribution by clicking the Give button in the top right on our website, www.godsacre.org, or within today's email. God bless you and have a wonderful week.